How much of mama have you absorbed? How much of mama are you carrying around with you today? Uh, both for good or bad, how much of mama is in you? Uh, this uh, text we're going to look at today, if you want to turn to Luke uh, chapter 1, is we're going to see both sides of this story, as we did last week at David, of legacy and leftovers, of the things that are legacy-driven that we need to model and learn to live and act out and live out and speak out and, and pursue in our own life, and the things that are leftovers that we're probably carrying around that we should have left over a long time ago and let, let, uh, let go aside. And we're going to look at the example of Elizabeth here. You've probably never heard Elizabeth taught, on, taught about on Mother's Day. She's a prolific mom. We're going to see today why in this text. Join me, if you will, in verse 35 of chapter 1. We'll read 35 to 45 and then jump over to verse 57 and read through verse 66 together. Luke 1, 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is, this is Mary's encounter with the angel. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. For why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Then in verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to, give, uh, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one of your relatives who has that name. <laughs> they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And backstory here, uh, Zechariah had lost his speech after the Lord had visited him to tell him he was going to have a son. Immediately, his mouth was open, verse 64. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loose, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about, his, wondered about this, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Elizabeth has a couple of leftovers here in this early text. Uh, leftovers that she could have chosen to live by, but chose a different path. Chose the path of legacy instead of the path of leftovers. Let's look at the, these two things. The first of which is this, that time had passed me by. Elizabeth's first leftover was the fact that time, that she thought at least, had passed her by. Look at verse 36. The first part of verse 36 says, even your Elizabeth, your, uh, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Uh, Elizabeth had pretty much thought it was too late for her, and that fate was a child wasn't in her wasn't in their works for them. It was just uh, something that was not going to be at her age and her, her her stage of life, and she'd pretty much accepted that and probably thought that was God's plan for her. And 
likely wondered, as most, most women in that age and in Jewish culture did, what have I done? Because women are supposed to raise children. Women are supposed to give birth and raise children. What have I done to God? What have I, have I been disobedient? Well, if you look back in verse 6 of chapter 1, verse 6 tells you that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both righteous before God, uh, both very favored in his eyes. So it wasn't based on their behavior, but rather on the plan and purpose and design and will of God. Uh, it was, it was, she was favored in God's sight. So it wasn't based on her performance. And women, ladies, moms, hear me. God's favor on you is not based on your performance. It's based on his plan and his provision and his design for your life. There is never a point, ladies, never a point where you are shelved, where you are useless, where you are either not smart enough, not pretty enough, not, not accomplished enough for God to use you. Hear that, that story of Elizabeth. Hear the fact there's never a point at which God says, okay, I'm through with you. Never. He he's always has design and purpose and dreams for us and plans for us, and we were never shelved because of that. So this this whole idea that you're not smart enough. You're not, you're not pretty enough. In fact, this whole idea of enough, period, is from the pit of hell. I'm going to tell you where it's from. It's spiritual warfare. The enemy telling you you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not accomplished enough. You're not, you're not soft enough. You're not humble enough. You're not, you're, you're not enough. The enemy will tell you day after day after day after If you let him, he'll tell you day after day you're not good enough. You're just not good enough. And we'll tell you that's smell the smoke on that because that's from the pit of hell. It is spiritual warfare. And just go ahead every morning as he tells you that, stand in front of the mirror and say, you're not pretty enough anymore. Go ahead and say, you're right. I'm not. But my God is. I'm not enough. But I have a God who is enough. And who gives me all I need and, and, and will be to both today and tomorrow and every day after that enough for me. My God is enough. Tell him that story because he'll lie to you every day if you let him. And in a, in a culture that says at least it wants to empower women, the Lord is the only one who really does. Take that home with you. You are empowered because God has empowered you, has a plan and design and purpose for you, never to leave you undone in his plans in your life. Unfulfilled time has not passed you by. That was a great myth and leftover in Elizabeth's life. But look at the second thing together. Not only did she think time had passed her by, but Elizabeth's leftover, secondly, was she thought the circumstances have won. Look at the last part of verse 36. And she, was she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. She who was said to be unable to conceive. Notice the word said here. Uh, a lot of things are said about us, maybe to us even, about ourselves, our mannerisms, our thoughts, our inadequacies, our, our, our traits, both good and bad. Focus not on what men and women say about you, ladies. Focus on what God has already said about you because he has the last word. He always has had the last word, and he will have the last word in your life. Focus not on what, what men and women have said about you, but what he has to say. And he wants, and it, it illustrates that here in Elizabeth's life, he wants the circumstances to be impossible. And oftentimes the, 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 the possibilities to be, to be bleak and scarce and, 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 and almost unheard of to show himself in your life. He wants us, all of us, not just ladies and moms, but wants all of us to get to the end of ourselves so that we'll see the beginning of who he is and what he can do and what he's up to. But sometimes we have to get to the end of ourselves to see that. Sometimes God has to bring us to the pit, in the pit, and through the pit until we'll see he's all I've ever needed. 
And because he's all I ever needed, he's all I want today. He's all I, he's all I care about pursuing. He's all I want to grab hold of and choose and walk with and, and, and follow after today, as David was talking about. He's, he, is, he is my sustenance. He's my strength. And so my circumstances don't define me, but he has already defined who I am and what is best for me. In fact, that's when he, when the circumstances are bleak, bleakest, ladies, as we see in, in, in Elizabeth's life, that's when he shows up and, and intersects himself with us to say, I'll do something powerful and miraculous in your life when you think it was lost, when you think there was no hope, when you think it was done. That's when he does his best work. So get this, ladies. Don't confuse happier times with God's blessing and harder times with God's curse. That's a lie from the enemy as well. Because here's the honest truth about this. Can I be frank with you? God is not interested in your happiness. He doesn't care about your happiness. What he cares about is his glory in your life. That's the evidence here in this, in this miraculous conception. And he cares about his glory and he cares about your joy. Drop down to, to verse 41 with me real quick. Mary shows up and here's, here's what happens. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped within her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's interested in your joy, not in your happiness. That's the, the baby leaped in her womb and the Spirit filled her. He filled her with joy. Happiness is fleeting, ladies. Don't confuse happiness with joy. God's not interested in your happiness. He never has been. He's interested in filling himself with you or filling yourself with him, bringing glory to himself through your life, and interested in bringing joy to you by way of that. He's always been interested in that at any age, and he certainly shows that here through the life of Elizabeth. Um, so, consequently, we can't gauge our life on our circumstances. If we do... We live life. Where is God? There he is. Where is God? There he is. Where is God? There he is. And God has been there in the valley and been there in the peaks. So his goal for us is, is, is not one of these. And we, if we listen to the enemy, if we base our life on circumstances and situations, here's where we live. Our goal is more like this. It's where he wants us to live. So that the valleys are less and the mountains are, the mountaintops are more consistent. We start to see God in every circumstance, good and bad whether the circumstance is, is, is sometimes severe even uh, in, in terms of death or, or, or addiction or depression or you fill in the blank. Whether the, whether the valley is deep and the mountaintop is high, God's goal for us is to seek him in every place so that this, our circumstances don't define who we are. He does in every circumstance. Shows up for us and with us and in us. So don't, ladies, leave circumstances in the, in the leftover of your wake. And don't allow your offspring to live out your, your, your hard and harsh circumstances. I, I remember um, stories of my mom <clears throat> would share with me about the, their, their upbringing and uh, how poor they were and a lot of things they had to deal with and, and, and living basically well below the poverty line. And I never realized I grew up that way too. You know why? Because my, the poverty line was my mom's stories. It wasn't my own stories. I didn't realize until I was in my 20s <clears throat> that the most money my dad ever made in his life was 10500 bucks a year. I thought, that's impossible, Dad. You can't raise five kids on that kind of... That's just physically and financially impossible to do. And I, saw <clears throat> and I saw again and again and heard the stories again and again of how God showed up here and there and here and there and here and there saying, I'm enough. I'm enough. I've always been enough. I'll always be enough. And so <clears throat> I didn't absorb my mom's poverty. I didn't, I didn't take that on myself, even after I learned that I, I grew up below the poverty line. I didn't absorb that. Why? Because she didn't bring her circumstances into my world. She left her circumstances in her world and created new ones in mine. 
It's what God calls us to do in our life and the kind of legacy we pass behind us. She thought time had passed her by. She thought circumstances had won. But it hadn't, and they had. Let's look at her legacy. Look at verse uh, 43 with me. He says uh, in verse 43, but, but why am I so favored? She, she says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth's legacy initially here was one of humility. It was a legacy of humility. Why am I so, uh, so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And this was an enormous cultural faux pas. This was because Mary was likely an older teenager. Elizabeth, Elizabeth was a seasoned citizen at this point. And culturally speaking, uh, you, you're taught in Jewish culture and should be taught in American culture. You're not anymore much, but to respect your elders and respect those who have gone ahead of you and are ahead of you on the path, respect their wisdom. And so culturally speaking, Mary should have humbled herself to Elizabeth. Yet here's Elizabeth humbling herself to Mary. Uh, it just was culturally uh, taboo. It wasn't done at that time. Uh, as I said, this, it's, it's culturally flipped on its ear because of the circumstances of her conception and, and, and Mary's conception as well. Why do you think Elizabeth done that? I would submit to you there's probably two reasons among several. The first of which is this. Elizabeth knew and believed that life begins at conception. And because of that, she, was in, she knew she was in the presence of the Lord, not just in the presence of Mary, but in the presence of the Lord. She believed life begins at conception. Would that our, our nation believe, uh, share that same belief today. Uh, it, it is, matter of fact, we had a discussion, a little family discussion about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, how vital it is, the elections matter. You know why they matter? Because they put Supreme Court justices in, in seats that are lifetime. And... <clears throat> I don't have. A, I'm not a huge Donald Trump fan. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not a huge. But I, I, I praise God for the, for the judicial appointments that He's made in the Supreme Court. I hope there's one more coming, hopefully soon, because those decisions matter. Nothing has changed your life, culturally speaking, and mine more than the decisions of the court in our lifetime. That's a shame, but it's true. And I hope in my lifetime. Roe E. Wade is overturned. I believe it's going to be, actually. Because we've killed almost 60 million babies since Roe V. Wade. Shame on us. But props to a man who, though looks like a sleazeball, has the courage to make the right decision and put the right person in the right place. And I, I praise God for what he's done in that regard, at least. I'm looking forward to that day. I hope I, hope I see it. I hope, hope we all see it. But Elizabeth believed that life begins at conception. So she, and consequently, she believed she was in the presence of her Lord when Mary entered the room, and so she humbles herself before both Mary and Jesus. Secondly, she knew she was smack dab in the middle of a, such a time as this moment. She, she knew the magnitude of that moment and humbles herself before the Lord as a as seeing this, that, that the lives of, of her son and her Savior were about to intersect. Not only would they, they run parallel paths growing up, uh, as relatives even, run parallel paths, they were about to intersect eternally. 
as John was, became the forerunner for Jesus and became the, the one who says, prepare the way for, for the Lord. And so she knew that. Uh, she knew the, the, this, this call on, on, on John's life, on her baby's life, and knew that that, that, that call intersected the life of Jesus. And uh, this, this whole idea of humbling herself because of that, the, the call of God on her life, the, the, the pregnancy that was totally unexpected came out of the blue for her. She found herself in a place of, of, of uh, what didn't look like cultural, but spiritual humility. Lady, not, not, not just moms, actually not just ladies, but all of us, see humility as such an attractive virtue. Humility is an attractive virtue in a woman. Every woman. All of us, actually, but every woman. Because how dare we grow up and live and become adults and, and, and think God owes us something? Let me ask you a question. What does God owe you? What does he owe you, really? Tell you what he owes all of us. Hell. Hell is what we owe, what we're owed. That's not what we receive. He, he owes us nothing but gives us himself, gives us everything. And she, so she finds herself in, in, in virtuous humility here, humbling herself not only before Mary but before the presence of the Lord here as well. Listen to these passages of Scripture from James 4 and Philippians 2, talking about the value and, and all of humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord, James 4 says, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. How? As we learn to walk in humility before him. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Ladies, moms, if you want to live out a virtuous something in front of your children, live out and teach them. Walk humility in front of them. Nothing will be more attractive than that. And God will use nothing more than that in their life. Uh, he'll, he, will, he will always use humility to glorify himself. Always. He did here in this passage and will out of our lives as well. Mary's, uh, uh, Mary, Elizabeth's uh, second legacy was not just one of humility, but was Elizabeth's legacy was coming behind her. She recognized that. Look at verse 66. Her legacy was coming behind her. Verse 66 says, Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What then is this child going to be? God had intervened in the conception. He had intervened in the delivery. He intervened in the naming of, of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah's son, John. Uh, in fact, a few verses before verse 66 we read, we saw where Mary says, no, not a family name. His name is to be called John. She knew that John meant Yahweh is gracious. That's what the name John means. God was gracious to her. In giving her a son, he was gracious to her in giving her a son, not only of, of uh, incredible promise, but with eternal dividends out of his life. And she knew that going in. And so she sees the grace of God both to her and to her offspring, to her families, and, and, and names him John because of that. Uh, typically, this is un, un, culturally a faux pas as well. Typically, the dad in Jewish culture names the, the offspring. And they're usually a familial name, some, some, some family member or family name. She intervenes here to say, no, Yahweh is gracious. He's been gracious to me, and he's gracious to the world in birthing this son of promise through me. So we're going to call him John, the gracious of Yahweh, the grace of Yahweh. Uh, he was, as I said, uh, 
the set up to be the, the, the forerunner, the, the, the setup man, the, the warm-up act, more or less, who comes on stage before Jesus to say, he's coming. Are you ready? Do you know him? And you know his ministry was a ministry of baptism, of repentance in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord was his message uh, and through the, throughout the Gospels. But anytime God invites you into his epic story, he's up to something eternal. He's up to something significant, and he invites Elizabeth in here uh, to, to, to this story. And he, he values, both valued her and values us, the standpoint of inviting us into the story by giving us the keys to the kingdom. Here are the keys to the kingdom that he gives us again and again and again. And he does that in, his, in the promise of his word to, to Mary and to Elizabeth in this story. And, and in essence to say, the one coming behind you is the one I'm, I'm pointing to. Yes, I've worked in your life. I've been give you a miraculous conception, a miraculous delivery. You're obedient, obedient in, in Amy and John out of the leadership of the Spirit of God. But he's the one that your life is about. Ladies, moms, look at the, one behind, the ones behind you to see they're the ones that your life should be about. What are you pouring into them? What, what are you sowing into them? Uh, and, and we should think about those things, whether... We, are, we have infants at home or whether we have adult children that come back home occasionally, is, is that the fact that we need to be sowing things and, and never stop sowing, ladies. Never stop. I used to go eat lunch with my mom uh, really after her death about at least once a week just to see what I could clean. And she'd fix something, usually some, some little piece of something she had left over in the refrigerator. And she'd warm up and heat up and I'd get a little something to eat, but I was more more interested in what I could glean from her mind and from her mouth than from her table. And, and ladies, you will be wise to, to continue to sow into into your sons and daughters things that matter. That's what I was looking for in lunch with her: things that matter, things that outlive her and outlive me, things that things that are things that are of substance that, that we, regardless of how old we are and when when and where we live will outlive us and live beyond us. Uh, and, and we need to seek those kinds of things to sow in. A couple of questions here, moms, as we wrap up, and that's this. What's in your wake today? What's in your wake? What's coming behind you? What are the things that are you're, you're known for, that you've, you've said, done, been a part of, haven't been a part of, the choices you've made? What's in your wake today? Is it more legacy or more leftovers? Are you giving whoever's behind you the crumbs of, of out of your life? Or have you been intentional about saying, this is important. Live this out. This is important. Believe this. This is important. Do this. Uh, are you more legacy or more leftover? The second question is this. Are you comfortable with your kids growing up to be just like you? Are you comfortable with your kids growing up to be just like you? Because that's the default system. That's the default system they're growing up with. They're growing up to be just like you. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, that's the default system. They're going to they're gonna catch a lot from you. Uh, it's, it's often said that more is caught than taught. And if that's the key, what are you kids catching is the answer to that. What are they fishing for? What are they fishing for? Compliments, praise, or humility? Are they fishing for adoration and acclamation? Or are they fishing to, to to plug their lives into people and, and to plug their lives into give, giving themselves away as opposed to being the center of the universe? And I've said this often from this platform and, and to anybody else that would listen. 
I think we were trending toward a dangerous place of living. We're already there, but it's, it's trending worse. Living in a child-centered culture where children are the center of the universe. That's a dangerous place for our culture. You know why? Because they need to glean it from you, not you from them. You need to pour <clears throat> yourself and your energies into them and showing them, demonstrating, modeling for them humility, modeling for them this world owes you nothing. Modeling for them, <clears throat> you're entitled to nothing. You came in this world without nothing. You go, you go out without nothing. <clears throat> what you take into the next world is what matters. They're going to grow up to be moms just like you. Are you good with that? If not, change it. I don't care if you're old, as old as Elizabeth. It's never too late to change the course, ever. See the, the value and the importance of that today. The people are watching your life, Mom. They're, they're absorbing, not, not, just, not just your kids, but your kids certainly are absorbing things you don't even think they're absorbing. You did it. You grew up to be your mom, whether you liked it or not, in a lot of ways. Are you good with that? It's never too late to change if you're not.